Welcome back to episode 60 of the Hockey House podcast presented by OptumX Sports. I'm your host, Mackenzie Murphy, joined alongside by Stephen Glick and our executive producer, David Herman, as we bring you the latest news from around the ACHA and the CHF. Not much news this week. It's kind of week one of the offseason. We're excited to bring you some stuff, but not much hockey to talk about. We do have a couple things worth noting, but we'll go around the horn here and check in. Glick, how's it going? I'm doing pretty good. I'm kind of in the same boat as you said earlier. You needed an academic flotation device. I'm feeling that right now. It's getting to that point of the semester, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think like easiest thing for me is like when I it's like getting really hard, but I'm like, wow, it's almost over too. So like it, it's going to be so nice going from like all this work to just nothing and a couple months. So Herm, you're still catching up on on work from our little vacation in St. Louis. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Working on the collab post that's going to go out really soon with Our Page and Will Bramlett, but just kind of clawing my way back right now from work that I need to catch up on from St. Louis. Here in Syracuse, things have been good. We're in, in off-season mode. I know as most most teams around the country will start to do, it's like having conversations with club sports, getting jersey orders in at this time of year, talking with vendors, apparel, trying to get everything going so that when we get back in August, everything will be good to go. And a lot of changeover in you know the officers and we're doing nominations and elections this time of year. So I, I did want to reach out because I had some I actually got off the phone earlier today, but if anybody following the podcast has any questions like regarding this time of year as as a club sport on campus, feel free to reach out, send us a DM. I'd love to to help out. I've had a lot of experience in my time at Syracuse during this this time of year and last year was probably the craziest of them all coming back from COVID. So if you have any questions or like want to reference what another university does with their teams, be happy to reach out. I'm sure Glick would do the same. He can chime in and and if there's anything going on at Temple that he has experience with. I think it's always nice to just hear what another school does. It kind of gives you a little more confidence going into uh, to talk with you know the club sports representatives that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. Other than that, at Syracuse, things are good. Like I said, it's the off-season, so staying plenty busy with you know athletic department stuff. Been doing some more team events outside the rink, which is always nice. I had this in the notes. The war is over at Syracuse. We had some ongoing beef with the women's hockey team on campus. They won their conference tournament a couple months ago. I guess there was some beef that wasn't really beef but i thought this was prime hockey house content we had the girls over and, and did a uh, a fun team bonding event with them and the patch was sealed and we we shook hands and we took a group photo together and it was a good time it, it's always nice there our team is 95 percent american their team is about 95 percent canadian so it's always nice having the girls over and we just throw on you know whatever nhl games going on and, and they're always a good time to talk to so i think some hockey house news worth bringing up lindenwood officially announced that they are going ncaa Division one. I know there was a lot of rumors going around. Herm and I heard a bunch of them while we were in St. Louis that this was not going to happen. There was an unofficial report, I want to say like a year and a half ago, that pretty much everyone was just basing this off of. And then late in the season, Lindenwood announced that all of their sports were going to go Division one in the Ohio Valley Conference. Left off that list was men's ice hockey, a team that a lot of people expected was going Division one. I think if you look at their commitments over the past year and a half, you would assume that they're going division one but it was never in stone that they were 
were going to go division one. And so it was really up in the air. We're actually going to get to it later in this episode when we sit down with Brendan Murphy. He kind of talks about what it was like in the room. Really interesting. And then finally, some leadership changes were made. And all of a sudden, it was announced that Lindenwood would be going division one NCAA. So happy for those guys. I think it's good for the game of hockey that we're growing kind of the map and having a team in the Midwest definitely helps NCAA hockey and really cool. You know, they join Arizona State and Penn State as teams that really succeeded at the ACHA level and uh, made the jump. So we wish them the best of luck. Some other leads that we wanted to cover. There was a game this weekend, believe it or not. A Murphy was in attendance. My sister was down in Daytona visiting our uncle. She went to the rink and Embry Riddle was playing Florida. I had seen it on Twitter that there was a game and I was like, oh, that feel bad we didn't cover that on the podcast but my sister was there for that so we can say that the hockey house was there for the final game of the season so we wanted to make note that there was a game I, I do not believe there are any more games if there are I I mean I would be shocked they should be promoting those let's let's get those on like ESPN plus so everyone can watch but I was shocked to find out there was a game this weekend since it's the only game of the weekend does that mean it's also the ACHA breakers blowout of the week I think so I think like Embry Riddle won like eight to four so I guess that that qualifies but yeah I, I don't know if there were were any other games and we just missed them but some d3 chf action another thing that we wanted to bring up uh we did have a correction that we wanted to set the record straight on last episode we mentioned that there were some crazy parents in a saint bonaventure farmingdale game and some rumors and reports that the saint bonaventure fans were like giving threats to the farmingdale players all this chaotic stuff and we did have some players reach out from saint bonnie and they wanted to set the record straight that i guess there was some teams in the crowd that wanted St. Bonaventure to win. They were chirping and heckling the Farmingdale players. The Bonaventure parents were just in the crossfires. Very kind words about the parents and they wanted to set the record straight saying, you know, they're a well-run program that did not reflect, you know, the parents who were in attendance at Ice Line. So I, I think it sounds like it was a misunderstanding and that since there were certain people in the crowd rooting against Farmingdale, it looked like they were St. Bonaventure parents, but it was uh, folks and, and players from other teams in the crowd directly at the Farmingdale players. So I think it was just a tough look and, and we wanted to make sure that we were, um, you know, doing our efforts to re- report the truth here. So another one we did want to mention was the final score of the national championship. I said it was eight to two. It was eight to three. And um, we also mentioned that UCO split with UNLV during the regular season. Those teams did actually, they didn't play. They only had one series and that was in Oklahoma. Broncos swept that one. So they actually won the series against UNLV three, nothing with their win in the national semifinal. Interesting. A lot of people were commenting on the Lindenwood situation. Does that mean UCO is the number one ranked team to start off the year next year? Um, We'll have to see. I think there's another question too. What happened? to the D2 team at Lindenwood? Are they going to move to the D1 ranks and fill in that hole? Stuff to watch out for here in the offseason. We're excited to keep bringing you guys the latest news during the offseason. And if there's anything that you would like to see us talk about touch on cover uh, over the next couple months, please be sure to shoot us a DM and let us know. Did want to touch on it a little bit, just give a brief spark notes, but we've gained a lot of listeners since the national tournament. I thought we'd high, come in and highlight kind of how we started before the, the interview with Murph coming up here. Basically what happened was over the summer of 2020, uh, while we were all in quarantine and getting ready to go to school in the fall, myself, Glick, and Fitz were all making ACHA themed TikToks on, on the app. We got some comments going like, oh, 
oh, like we should make a video about this. Like we should collab on this. And I threw out the idea, like, what if we did an ACHA podcast? Like, would you guys hop on it? Sure enough, an Instagram group chat was created. Fitz is the one credited for coming up with the name Hockey House. It was kind of a spinoff on, you know, the TikTok houses that were going viral at that time. And every school has a hockey house. So it, it makes sense. And I think it was a perfect theme for the non NCAA college hockey we were going for. And so the hockey house was created over the summer. It was launched in September of 2020. I was playing at Cuse, Glicks, a goalie at Temple, and Fitz at the time was at Indiana. None of us touched the ice uh, that year. Um, we went the full year without playing hockey, and instead we worked on our podcasting skills. Over the summer was when Herm hopped on with us. Herm DM'd us and was like, I will edit the podcast for you. And I was being stubborn at the time and told him, no, thank you. We're all set. And he said, no, please let me edit the show for you. And uh, we haven't looked back since then, and he's been editing it since the summer of 2021. Fast forward to this year, Fitz graduated from Indiana, and he's been playing in the Fed for the Binghamton Black Bears. Uh, that's why we have the segment every week fired up in the Fed with Fitz. He's not here this episode, but you'll hear his voice pretty soon here coming up. Temple and Syracuse both resumed play. Herm has been with us along the way. Um, his favorite job, but not the one that pays him the most, I would say, is his his role here with the podcast. In February of 2022, we welcomed on OptumX Sports as the presenting sponsor of the show. That's the story. Am I missing anything, guys, that's worth noting in the Hockey House story? Nope. I think you've got it down pat. It was literally just because of like, we were, we were just making TikToks. We followed each other. We started commenting on each other's posts. And then Murph, I forget what post it was on, but you just said, hey, let's make a podcast. And we just created a group chat and the rest was history. Yeah, it was it was pretty exciting. I, I remember like bringing out to my friends like, hey, like, would you guys listen to it like spit and chicklets but of of the ACHA and they're like that'd be pretty cool and then right away it was like oh I have a buddy who plays here I have a buddy who plays here my one of my teammates at Syracuse was like oh like my buddy Nick Flanders like you have to have him on he's a riot he plays at UNLV like I got a buddy who plays at West Virginia like we they just rattled him off and that's how we built our base from the start since then we haven't had to go far to look for guests and uh, it's been really exciting and we've grown so much this season and we're really excited to see where this goes here in the off season but one of my favorite guests coming on the show, um, a guy we followed during the national tournament, Brendan Murphy. He was a hockey house all-star. Didn't really get the spotlight he deserved this season because he was out with an injury for so long, but heck of a heck of a character. I, that's all I'll say. I don't want to spoil too much of the show, but I do want to give a shout out to Herm because before you're listening to this, he's going to have to go through and put this puzzle back together over an interview because I sat down with Murph to do this interview. Murph interviewing Murph. Did not have the right microphone settings going, and so I sat Sounded like I was talking out of a toaster. I will have, at this point have gone through and re-recorded all of my parts, but want to give him a shout out for this one. Yeah, this is an exciting interview. Talked about it. Like the goal is to be the spit and chiclets of, of club hockey. And this interview is chiclets worthy. I think it was Murph's warm up for appearing on chiclets. He had quite the college hockey career. And uh, that interview is coming up next here on the Hockey House Pod. We're pleased to be joined by Lindenwood defenseman, 2022 ACHA national champion, and Hockey House All-Star. From St. Peter's, Missouri, number 15, Brendan Murphy. Murph, welcome to the Hockey House. Thanks for having me, fellas. I'm uh, excited to be here. We're psyched to have you on. It's definitely interesting for me having another Murph on the show, but we'll get used to that and, and I'll get acclimated. Let's just get the ball rolling here. What has the last week been like for you? I know texting back and forth before this about how much homework you're doing and going into the vortex, so I can only imagine 
uh, what it was like trying to be productive after a weekend like you just had. I, I didn't even uh, really BS it to my professor. I told him straight up, you know, I just won a national championship, sixth year of college. I need till Sunday, prof. And he was nice enough that he's actually got a grandchild playing hockey. He gave me till Sunday. So yeah, I told you I was in the vortex just getting everything done Sunday because yeah, it's been pretty crazy uh, since we won. Coach told us the party's going to go on forever and it's been a week and man, it's felt like forever, but it's been so much fun. The boys have been enjoying it. A lot of people have been supporting us, reaching out and uh, wanting us to pretty much party with them. So it's been fun so far. I actually saw you guys. I didn't say anything, but I saw you when you were there for the D2 semifinal game against you, Mary. You guys walked in with the Murdoch Cup, took your seats in the front row for that game. And I mean, you guys just looked exhausted. It was St. Patrick's Day too. You guys look like you'd been having a good time. And I was like, wow, those guys must be so gassed at this point. Oh yeah. We, we, we kind of just, uh, you know, the shampoo effect just kept her going uh, the last couple days. So we had to come out for our boys. You know, that was a big game for them. Just like us, they've been grinding all year long so we had to support we've been battling all week but it's been a lot of fun you know it's been nice weather here it's been pretty warm lots of outdoor activities some fun indoor activities so the boys are making the best of it during the tournament we had the chance to catch up with you after the semi-final game you walked us through what you're feeling like but you, you knew you had one more hill to climb at that point but at that point I didn't realize that you're actually from St. Louis talk to us what was it like growing up playing youth hockey in Missouri so actually wild enough, I know Lee Prospects tricked you guys. I'm actually from South Florida originally. I'm from uh, Pompano Beach, Florida. I grew up there till I was 12 years old. And then St. Peter's is pretty much home now. I did grow up from like seventh grade till now, you know, lived here. So I consider this home. My mom and sister still live down there. I actually moved to St. Peter's for hockey wild enough. You know, my dad's French Canadian through and through. We got an opportunity for me to play not even AAA, but Central States out here. And we and he got a job and we ended up moving out here. Been here ever since. Uh, some people think I'm crazy for leaving South Florida, but I love St. Louis. It's grown on me and there's a lot of good stuff going on here. You know, hockey's growing. It used to be just junior blues. Now there's multiple AAA organizations here. There's a bunch more rinks as you guys got to see with Centene. It's awesome that that got built. Hockey's buzzing here. So it's good to be a part of that to see where it was when I moved here to where it is now. It's something special for sure. So growing up, did you know Nick Flanders from UNLV? First time I really heard of him was obviously when we got picked for the all-star team, but we must have, you know, grown up in close proximity from each other because, yeah, I grew up in Fort, Fort Lauderdale. I played junior Panthers, Palm Beach Hawks growing up. Yeah, it moved away when I was, you know, just before I was a teenager, so I haven't been home in a long time, but yeah, that's home. At what point in your hockey career did you start getting involved with junior hockey? Like, what was that process like? Looking at your elite prospects, it looks like you started out in the NA3 what made you make that jump and when did you decide to do it? So like I told you, my dad was, he's all about hockey, fully invested in my career. Before I was even playing juniors, we knew I would play, if I, unless I got a really good opportunity, I was going to play till I was 20. I wanted to play all my juniors and then go to college. Like that's, it was just was kind of our plan. I was playing AAA, didn't really have a great year. As a U16 player, they asked me to play up 18s and then just kind of wishy-washy and it, it wasn't a great year. So I didn't want to go back there. I was still thinking maybe AAA somewhere. Definitely not where I was playing at at the time. So I tried out for the Springfield Junior Blues in the Null. Had a really good camp. Ended up making 
in the all-star game. And my coach for that, his name is John Guy Trudel, best coach I've ever had in my life. French Canadian guy, uh, played in the AHL, played in Europe. Unbelievable guy, unbelievable coach. He met my dad as I was getting undressed after the all-star game. I walked out. My dad was like, you're playing for the Peoria Mustangs in the NA3 this year. I was like, oh, okay. I was planning on even playing junior blues at that point. Like most St. Louis kids, they don't leave. If they're going to play uh, in the NA3, they're going to play at home for the junior blues. So it was kind of crazy that I left. Playing in Peoria that first year really was something special. And yeah, that's pretty much how I got started. <laughs> All right. And then you had some stops in the Nall, some pretty big stops by the looks of it. I mean, I'm no null expert, but just looking at, at the cities that you played in, it looks like you must have enjoyed yourself and your time in junior hockey. You started out in Corpus Christi. What was that like? That must have been huge for you at that age. Yeah, it, it was definitely different, you know, than Peoria, Illinois, playing sewer ball to warm up for games. And, you know, you're, you're looking at the beach right out front, 8,000 seat facility. It was pretty crazy. I had a, I struggled there. I, I, I was hurt with an ankle injury at the time as in and out of the lineup, but playing there experience wise was awesome. I met some buddies on that team that I'm still really good buddies with now. It, it was it's like playing like semi-pro hockey. It was cool to be in that environment. You play in front of, you know, thousands of people every night. I loved Corpus. I had a great billet family there. You really can't be playing in the Nall South. It's a pretty cool experience. So a little side note for the listeners, this past season in Syracuse, we used to do snake drafts in the back of the bus, similar to some of the, the podcasts you, you find on Barstool, and they do all kinds of those those crazy drafts. We started doing one on, on the long bus rides to pass the time, and the first one that we did was snake drafting cities we would want to play for in the Nall. And so, you know, we had a draft order, we sat in the back of the bus, we did as much research as we could, but none of us played in the Nall. Um, so it was pretty hysterical looking at some of the results. And obviously you go up and down the cities. There are some like Corpus Christi. I mean, others less fortunate like Kenai River. You obviously were blessed with the opportunity to play in a place like Corpus. Oh, yeah. Well, that was the, you know, the threat if we, you weren't playing well. Like, you know, coach was going to send you to Kenai. You know what I mean? Everybody everybody wanted to be in the in Corpus. That was uh you know, if you weren't in the U show and, you know, you you had options for after juniors lined up, that's like, you know, vacation home uh, until you're going to college. It's just a great atmosphere. So you can't really beat it. We're strictly an ACHA podcast, but could you give us your best Vietnam story? A Vietnam one. So one of the kids I was telling you about who was my, is still my really good buddy. If you guys saw that clip, I know you guys saw that clip of the guy who was warming up and he just went on the other side of the red line and guys were... Oh yeah, he's from Florida, right? He's actually from uh, Boston, Mass. His name is Travis Howe. Look up that guy's elite prospects. He was on uh, Corpus the same year I was and he's my real good buddy still. Absolutely nails the toughest guy I've ever played with he in one year in pro he fought from I think it was all in one year he went from the fed to the AHL just from Chuck and Nux like this guy was nuts a great guy but there was another guy in uh Rio Grande his name was Adam Morrison and he was supposed to be you know the, this big scary guy guys that put on cages apparently whenever they were playing Rio Grande because you know Morrison was out there and he was pretty nails honestly he was a tough kid but like Travis like his personality is like are you kidding me I'm gonna absolutely sleep this kid I'll never forget I was scratched this game but he told me he's like I'm, I'm gonna knock him out tonight I have a video of it somewhere too and he's like I'm gonna knock him out tonight he was you know chirping me on Instagram a little bit they'd fought once in preseason before but it kind of got broken up he's like be down there waiting for me. I'm gonna I'm gonna knock him out. They end up going. They square up. Travis grabs him. It's in a it's a good little tilt. And I just stand up and I was like, had a feeling like he's gonna knock him out right now. Here we go. So they start chucking nucks a little bit. Ends up. He goes over the top. Sleeps, buddy. He's completely knocked out. Like 
get him a pillow. Absolutely asleep. Travis gets knocked out. I run downstairs. I'm waiting for him. I remember in Corpus when you're a scratch, uh, they always would bring like cater like really good food from like Cracker Barrel or Applebee's or just big, big portions of stuff. And I would muck it, you know, and he's looking at me and, you know, most people after a fight, they just be super fired up adrenaline rush and, you know, just knock someone out. Travis looks at me. He's like, dude, can you go grab me a plate of some turkey and mashed potatoes? If I'm done for the night, I'm, I just need to muck some turkey and mashed potatoes. I'm like, dude, you're an absolute psycho. Get him his plate. Ends up Rio Grande, another kid on their team. He ends up hitting a kid dirty on our team. Travis goes and waits for the bus outside and is literally yelling out onto their bus. Hey, I forget what the kids, maybe like Zach Bennett or something. You guys aren't leaving. Get Bennett out here right now. And he's like pulling his way onto the bus, trying to pull the coach out of the way, pulling players out of the way. Like this guy's an absolute sicko. So that's probably my best Vietnam story was just playing with Travis Howe. That was just one of his uh, few knockouts. That guy was supposed to be the heavy that year. So it was pretty cool to be a part of, be around. I'm supposed to go do homework after this interview, and now I'm going to end up staying up late and watching Travis Howe fight videos for the next couple hours. You can for hours, hours. Just treat yourself. Taking a little side road here on your elite prospects journey, you end up in Truro, Canada, playing in the MJHL. Uh, What was that like? Yeah, that was honestly one of the coolest experiences of my life, you know. Now that I'm done with college, I, I guess I could tell you that you got free everything. They gave you gas money, food money. They they t- they took care of you there. The the 20 year olds coming from the OHL and going on. Some we had guys come back from the coast and come play their 20 bomb year in the MJ because they were making that much money. Like it was just such an unreal you know money pit. Honestly, in Trill, they had this old owner loved to just take care of the boys. But the reason why I ended up going actually was the coaching corpus. I'm not even going to name names, but this guy, one of these, the worst coach I've read, never played hockey before, but somehow was a head coach in the null. They told me they had this kid. He was drafted to Anaheim, committed to Wisco in the USHL. And he was saying, listen, Murph, because all the boys loved me in Corpus. That's why I really stuck around there so long. I was, I was a good locker room guy and I got along with everyone, but they told me basically I came back after Christmas the assistant coach, the D coach, he's from either Newfoundland or New Brunswick. Uh, he's somewhere out east in Canada. The head coach told me, listen, Murph, you can come and battle and wait for the deadline, but we're getting this kid. And I'm thinking in my head, no way a kid literally drafted the show is coming and, you know, playing in the null right right now before he goes to Wisco. But I didn't want to risk it. And the coach said to me, he's like, listen, it's unbelievable up there. It's way better hockey than you'd think. Just isn't as you know known because it's not like the BC. Not as many kids get committed out of there because so many kids just play Canadian college or just go and play like in the coast after they, they play their pro somewhere. So I called my dad and I told him that. And, you know, my dad being Canadian, he said, it's up to you. You know, you can do what you want to do. If you want to go play back in the NA3, if you want to just, you know, go out east, whatever you want to do, it's up to you. And then and I'm the type of person at that point, I just loved being away from home. I loved being, you know, experienced in junior hockey lifestyle. I wanted to get away. And I was like, you know what? It's a, it's a good opportunity to play some hockey in a, in a good Canadian league, branch out and, you know, experience something different. So I ended up going out there and had an unbelievable time. We ended up going on a run, made it to the championship that year. We didn't end up winning, but it ended up being a pretty sick year. 
I really was actually planning on going back there. The only reason why I didn't was because I told my dad, I'm going to try out one place in the Nall, and that's Amarillo because their main camp is in town. Coach at the time uh, was from St. Louis and kind of knew who I was. If I make Amarillo, I'm going to go to Amarillo. If not, I'm just going to stay in Truro uh, and find a good option there because the coach told me to work for me because like, I was worried about you know playing NCAA, but that league didn't send that many kids to NCAA. So I was like, how am I going to make that happen? Uh, and he said he'd do that for me, but I was like, you know, if I make the Nall, I'm playing in the Nall. And I ended up making Amarillo. I played there. The coaches loved me. Some stuff happened on that team. For some reason, I didn't really rub with leadership the right way. I ended up not staying there and going and playing in the EHL because a kid who left Amarillo before me, who's from St. Louis, he went and played for the Boston Junior Rangers. The coach was giving me a, a free place to stay, basically like a, you know, a tier two setup. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go out there and find a good D3 school to play for. So that's how I ended up in Amarillo and then in the EHL. Yeah, because like when I saw that you play in the EHL, I was like, oh, it's no surprise that he ended up going NCAA D3. Just because it seems like so many guys from the EHL end up playing at those small D3 schools in the Northeast. Basically a factory for D3 prospects. And I'm sure it was a really cool experience for you playing in, in all those different places. I personally love following the, the Vietnam account on Instagram and just seeing those videos that they post. I think it's an absolute riot. You got to just kind of embrace the lifestyle when you're doing it. You know, I, I, I just had a couple cups of coffee, but once you get to college, you realize how good you had it and especially playing in the Nall, the stories, even all the greasy stories you hear about that. That's what makes it fun, you know, and playing junior, even playing the NA3, you know, that the experiences you get at those levels, you don't get that anywhere else, you know, just playing hockey, no school, living it up. It's the best times of my life. And I'm, I'm an old man now after six years of college and four years of juniors, man, I missed the junior days. I'll tell you what. So when you got to the Junior Rangers and you came to Boston in the Northeast, at what point did you begin reaching out to college coaches? Like, when were you making a decision? Did you have a place that you wanted to go to? Explain what that process was like. So when I was playing in Amarillo at the Null Showcase, that's probably the, some of the best hockey I've ever played in my life that year as a 20. And I ended up talking to, no joke, like 15 D3 schools. And that's where I kind of knew in my head, you know, as a 20, the stats I have right now, I was realistic. I was like, you know, I'm going to probably be a D3 guy. I'd like to just go to as sick of a school as possible, D3, if it's affordable, you know, because as everyone knows, you know, a lot of those schools are pretty expensive. I talked to UMass Boston at the Showcase. I ended up going on a tour there and I was like, I want to go here. I loved, I love Massachusetts. I loved Boston. I had visited there before, you know, when I was younger. And then after playing juniors there, I was like, you know what? I want to definitely, after I visited, after I transferred teams, this is where I want to go. So all the schools that I talked to in the Northeast, I ended up going on like visits to because I was, you know, close at that point. That's the one thing about the Null is, you know, if you're in Corpus, it's nice. It's awesome. But if you're end up being a D3 guy as a 20 year old, it's not like, uh, you can go on 10, 15 visits because you're not going to fly from Texas. See what I'm getting at? Like you can't really check stuff out. You're really just going by word of mouth, you know, school records and stuff. Whereas when I was living in Boston, I went to New York to some SUNYAC schools to visit. I went all over Mass. I went to USM, obviously visited there. I see why a lot of guys from the EHL uh, end up doing that because the schools are right there. It's easy to watch them. It's easy to scout from there. So that's pretty much why I ended up going there once I knew I was going to be a D3 
three guy. I was like, I could push junior A. That's where like my Amarillo coaches were talking about like the OJ or maybe the AJ. At that point, I didn't want to be sitting around since it was my 20 bomb year. I wanted to be playing hockey as for as long as I could of, of that season. And uh, just the EHL made the most sense. And so did you have a choice between a couple of different schools or like you visited USM and you're like, this is the place I want to go? USM was my absolute last choice. I did not want to go there at all at all. Talked to UMass Boston. I was like, I want to go here for sure. I visited there. Then I visited a few SUNYAC schools, uh, Cortland, Brockport, and Buffalo State. Out of the three and the most affordable, Buff State was where I really wanted to go in my top three. And at that point, I absolutely was not going to Linwood. Like, I just knew I didn't want to play ACHA. I'll, I'll tell, be honest with everyone. I, I really wanted to play pro after I was done. So I was like, I can't really do that from the ACHA. It's a bigger risk. But we, we see now a lot, of, a lot of guys are getting their opportunities if they do want to. But, you know, this is four years ago. I was like, or six years ago. And, you know, you could be a average to a little above average player in D3 and really get a good opportunity. So I was like, I need to find a good fit somewhere where I'm going to play a lot. What it came down to was at USM, I, with my grades from high school and just how everything worked out. I was going to school there for like 4,000 bucks a year as a D3 school. I was like, I cannot pass that up. Uh, my dad talked to the head coach. He really liked me a lot. They were the last school to talk to me. And uh, the reason why I chose there too, uh, shout out to my ex D partner, Johnny Kite. You know, the, you know the term good night, Jim Kite? Uh, his nephew, he was my D partner, Johnny Kite. Their whole family is deaf besides his mom, his two sisters, his brother, him and his dad, they're all deaf and Jim Kite's deaf too. I don't know if you knew that. So this guy's an absolute legend. And instead of, you know, usually you'd talk to a kid who's on the team already. The coach had Johnny Kite call me and, uh, you know, try to talk me into coming to school there. He's like, you know, I think we're going to be D partners. Coach said, you know, we would, we'd be a good match. And I was like, okay, well, when do you turn 21, man? Like what, what's, uh, you know, when can you start raging? He's like, August, dude. I was like, oh, what August what? He's like, August 2nd. I was like, no, bro. I was like, of 95? He's like, yeah, dude. I was like, dude, we're born on the same day of the same year. And I don't know why, like in my head, I was like, I'm going to this school. This is just some weird omen that I like I'm going here it's gonna be good vibes Johnny's still one of my best friends I see him every you know once or twice a year absolute beautician to be honest with you I really did love Maine it's beautiful there I could ski we had a mountain 45 minutes from uh, our school that was like $10 night skiing on Mondays we had the beach right there in Portland the boys on my team were unbelievable, like huge beauties. You know, after playing there two years, I really wanted to be a winner. And we were not, you know, I played forward the last six games of my sophomore year. I led the team with 12 points in 25 games. I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. I, I want to be a winner. I hadn't been a winner my whole life. After that, I went and revisited some of the schools I said no to. I went and revisited uh, Cortland, Marion, went to UMass Dartmouth. I really liked it because I, I was like, you know what? I kind of want to stay like in New England. I really would like that. So I, uh, And it was affordable. I was like, UMass Dartmouth would be awesome. Parents, you know, kind of just were in my ear about Lindenwood. I've known Rick Zombo since I moved here when I was 12 years old. I've known him half my life. And I was talking to him and... I saw some of the guys that we were bringing in. Like I was literally asking them. I'm like, well, who do you guys got? They show me the recruits with like Ryan Finnegan, Zach Martin, my D partner, Kyler Newman, uh, Hayden Ursulak. They had Jacob Townsend at the time. He was a UMass Lowell transfer. You know, we had some nasty guys playing there. I'm like, are these guys legit? Like, is this is this is this hockey legit? I had never seen a game. You know, man, it's been an absolutely awesome. It was the best choice I ever made because. 
after playing at that level D3, I knew Lindenwood was legit because we could play in that conference I played in, which was, you know, one of the best conferences. And we would have been a very, very good team. And that's before we got all these recruits. Like, I know you guys have seen some of the hate, you know, we've been getting. And that's before we had these recruits. You know, we've had the team to do this every year. We've won every year. We've been right there. Just haven't got the job done until now. It, it's absolutely uh, sweet that we could get it done in this manner. My experience in here, like I said, I got to win a lot regardless of everything. So it's been definitely worth it for me. And I think it was an awesome choice. You're just like rolling through my notes right now. It's like I shared the document with you. But let's backtrack here a little bit because I grew up an hour from Portland, Maine in small town North Conway, New Hampshire. Um, so I know all about Portland, Maine. Sneaky good city. Very underrated. A lot of people don't appreciate it enough. When you're in Portland, Maine, you get a small Boston vibe. It's a gorgeous spot. Like you said, you can go skiing. You can go to the beach. Uh, what were some of your memories from from you know the bars going out in Portland? Oh, the old port, man. Oh, I got great stories. Oh, yeah. Let's hear an old port story. Oh, I got a good old port story. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> a great story. We're going out one night. This was like towards the end of the year. And uh, I'm going with my ex-girlfriend at the time and her friends up from Boston. So, we're going out in our car. The other sophomores, all my buddies, they're going out in another car. So, we're get we get there at different times. And the four of them are like probably like 10 people behind me. So, like, you know how you, like, you're waiting in line, but you're still talking to your friends? Cause you, you know, they're right there. So I'm just talking to them, whatever. So we, as soon as I get into the bar, I'm sitting there and I'm, I can see them like they're right outside the door. Well, I can't see what my buddy's saying, but I guess what he was saying was he was looking at, he just fired up. You know, the boys were having a little pregame. They're just fired up. And he said, man, if anyone steps to me tonight, I am knocking them the F out, man. I don't care who it is. If anyone steps with steps to me tonight, messes with us, I am knocking them out. Turns out. Buddy, you know, two people behind him heard him say this and he said, oh, yeah, is that the truth? He stepped to him and just absolutely wannies him, knocks him out, cuts his nose uh, open, his mouth open. He's bleeding everywhere. The boys are scrambling like his two other buddies jump in, try to hit two more of our friends. He just got into the bar. So he kind of like sleeps him. I, I tell uh, my ex real quick. I'm like, all right, I got to get out of here. I run outside. You know, everyone's scattering. The police are coming. And I had been drinking that night beforehand, but not like too much. Like we obviously just got there. Probably had a drink or two before and then a drink. Like I just ordered one, you know, we all scramble out of there. And I was like, okay, I got to get out of here. So we, me and the girls hop into my car. We're in Gorham. If you know where that is it's like a oh yeah it's basically portland but not portland exactly like we're, we're just driving you know 10 15 minutes back a cop ends up pulling us over because i'm not driving my car i'm driving her car the headlights aren't automatic you got to turn them on while i'm driving the car the you got to think i got blood all over me because i came outside to take care of jerome and i got blood on my face i got it on my shirt on my arms so the cop rolls up to the the window and he looks at me and he's like what's going on man he's like your your uh, headlights weren't on but well, what's going on man i was like sir i was just at the bar i can't lie to like I'm just trying to get these girls home safe. My friends got jumped. You know, I had to play the victim. My friends got jumped at the bar and uh, I'm just trying to get these girls home safe. The cop looks at me. He's like, you know, get these girls home safe. And I was like, yeah, like I swear this blood's not mine. I just, you know, was helping my buddy after he got wanted. We end up getting back to campus, back to my room. Oh, and I'm also an RA at this time. Yeah. So I roll into the building and the, my coworker who's taking care of the building looks at me and she's like, what the 
F happened, man? Like you got blood all over you. So I got to explain that story, you know, again, you know, to my, you know, basically my boss at that point. Yeah. So that's the old port. That's the kind of knucklehead stuff we'd get into there. Yeah. So those are what we call yuppies in Portland. You know, the, the townies, you don't mess with the yuppies. Don't mess with the townies uh, when you're going out and about in Portland. You don't mess with the townies, man. You got to know, you know, they've been there their whole life and they ain't going anywhere. That's their territory. Yeah, that is awesome. I mean, being an RA too, that is just the perfect ending to that story. Because one of my D partners freshman year, he was actually an RA. He was the RA on the floor above me. And like, I can just picture being a college hockey player, you're older than a lot of the kids on your floor. I mean, those kids are 17, 18 years old living in a dorm. I can imagine with you being in charge of them, they must have looked at you and be like, this guy is not going to do anything anything and yeah it was honestly madness because you could bring beer in and i was in a wet dorm so i had a lot of the older kids maine was uh was legal for weed at that time you couldn't smoke or have weed in school but every time i'm walking through the building i'm smelling weed man everyone had weed there and as an ra it's like who do you how do you how do you bust someone for smoking weed when everyone's smoking weed everyone's drinking it's always a party at that building you could room with a female or like male female female male you could have two girls in a room two guys in a room like it was madness absolute madness i just kind of sit back kept my headphones in and acted like i didn't hear nothing <laughs> i mean that sounds like you had to have been the best ra I had to be. I'd have been writing up people left and right. And I'm not, I, I get it. You know, as an older kid that played juniors, I realized most of the kids there, they're not really, it's pretty harmless. Everyone's just, you know, doing the college thing, trying to have some fun. There's no real danger. I did deal with obviously some serious stuff as well. But when it came to that, you know, I would never want kid, you know, their housing or something like that to be on the line because they had made a mistake like smoking weed in their room or having beers when they're underage. You know, I wasn't the type of guy that was going to try to ruin a kid's career like that. But, you know, that's how you got to be, you know, especially even in hockey as a leader on a team, you know, you got to understand that's how I was this year. You know, I'm old man Jenkins on the team that, you know, at least freshmen, you know, they're young, you know, they're having fun. You got to kind of let it, let them do their thing. Cause I, I don't want to be the grumpy old man. Even when I was an RA, I didn't want to be the grumpy old man. You know, I didn't want to kill the vibe, man. I'm all good vibes. You mentioned it a little bit earlier, but you did play in one of the one of the cooler conferences in NCAA D3 in the NEHC. Walk us through that. Like, what were some of the best places you played in that league? Norwich, by far, was the sickest. That was my first game ever, actually, on the PK. That was a sick goal. I'll never forget that. And it was military night. Everybody, the whole crowd uh, was in uniform. It was pretty cool. Uh, Norwich was cool. I liked playing in UMass Boston. Their that, their atmosphere. They didn't absolutely have like the biggest stands, but they got they filled house. They were nasty. They had like Dylan Larkin's older brother. They always had like a bunch of D one drops. They were a sick team to play against. Honestly, who else? Salem State was pretty sick. It sucked. We'd play them on a Tuesday, and they would still have a full barn. It sucked. It was they were always our Tuesday game. But I liked playing there. All those Mazcac schools would get decent amount of fans. You know what I mean? New England College, absolutely barn that was one of my high school rivals that was where we played them we used to play john starp hopkins in there that place has the worst lighting it is like nothing has changed since that rink was built literally yes yes like in the 60s or whenever it was and on top of that you have to get dressed in like the women's soccer locker room yeah there's like swimming it looks like almost like swimming lockers in there that are like this big there's about enough room for about six people i actually thought about transferring there though because the the coach really liked me like i told you i like new hampshire mass new 
England area. So they had a ski mountain on campus. I thought that was dope. That was an absolute <laughs> barn. That, that, that did suck. So you play your two years at University of Southern Maine before you move on to Lindenwood. When you were in talks with Coach Zombo, at what point were there discussions of Centene being built here? Because by the looks of it, you played your first year at Lindenwood at the old rink and then the rest of your career at Centene. W- were there any talks when you were being recruited and looking at the school? The D2 coach, Gary Gardner, he really does a majority of the recruiting. He has for a long time. Now that it's going D1, it's you know been a more of a group effort. But at the time when I transferred, Gary did a lot of the recruiting. So much so that I was like, had heard of Gary. And when he was talking to me, I was like, Gary, I I understand you want me, but you know, I want to talk to Rick, you know, I haven't heard from Rick yet. But when he was recruiting me, him and coach Abney, they took me on a tour of Lindenwood. Cause even though I'm from here, I had never really checked out campus. When they took me on the tour, they like kind of pulled over at the end. They kind of told me and they, they, they pulled up the blueprint and they pretty much told me, listen, we're getting a rink, but like, you know, we're not getting a rink, but we're getting a rink type thing. You know what I'm saying? No one knows about it. Nothing's official. There's not an announcement, but we're getting a ring. It's time. They got the funding for it. At that point, you know, I work at Wentzville now. I'm literally a manager there, like the old rink we play. That was like the first rink I ever played in when I moved here. So it just was like a familiar rink to me. I didn't really care as much at the time because I had been hearing Linden was going to go D1 since I moved here, you know? So I was like, okay, there's going to be a rink. But he's like, no, 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 there's going to be a rink. At that point, there was going to be one, but I was going to be playing at Wentzville. And then it was that second year, you know, when it was under construction, we were doing tours of it before there was even uh, the building uh, up. It was just literally like dirt on the ground and just like some metal sheets on the sides basically the plot of land the year before so we're like okay this is going to be legit when it finally did transition over i think we had to do like a week or two at wentzville we did tryouts and then we were in our locker room for that full season and so while we're on the subject i want to let you know that you've broken a hockey house pod record this is the longest we've ever gone without asking somebody they're welcome to the acha moment so while we're here what was your welcome to the acha moment what was your introduction to the jungle what was your maybe favorite memory early on in your career something that was eye-opening to you it was my very first game we were playing uh uco to open the year out at wentzville you know i was kind of just feeling everybody out you know i felt a little bit not nervous like i've always meshed well with locker rooms you know i've always wanted to work for my spot and like they gave me a spot in the locker room right away so you know i'm just trying to figure these guys out you know feel everyone out and i remember we're playing uco still hadn't been my loud self yet i was kind of excited and the rugby team showed up that game. So it was like absolutely packed barn. Everyone was there. All my friends that hadn't seen me play in since my junior year of high school, because I left for juniors, you know, everyone's in the building getting to watch me play for the first time. So I'm pretty fired up and we're playing UCO. At that point, our power play, I know it was the first weekend, but our power play that year, it was like, it was almost over 50% or something. Like it was something crazy that year. It was nasty. So I wasn't on PP1. I was on the cleanup crew. Jake Townsend, I think he was like hurt or he was at the end of the shift. So they popped me out there for uh, the power play. One of my all-time favorite kids to play with, Ryan Finnegan. He's out there. He comes around the net. I'm on my one T side. So it's kind of like an offhand shot as he comes around the net, feeds me. And I sneak it in, and it was the very first goal of the year, first goal of the game. Place was absolutely electric, electric factory. Everyone was buzzing. I think my dad and mom were crying. 
the rugby team was going nuts. And you were like, I'm going to score 100 goals in this league. That's how I felt. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, maybe I do have a scoring touch again. Here we go, I guess. But really just guys that year made it easy. But man, that was definitely my welcome to the ACHL. I'll never forget that. You know, it was the first goal of the year, first goal of the game. I wasn't even supposed to be out there. I was like, this is awesome. It, w- it was just a good, you know, starting point for my whole career here. And I, and I think that really was a huge moment for me seeing how everything panned out. And so you mentioned that one of the reasons behind transferring was that you wanted to be on a winning team again. And you guys went to nationals in your first year. What was that like? I mean, for you as a guy who had played Texas hockey growing up in juniors, was it cool to be back down south again? What was that experience like for you? That was sick, actually. My dad had been there before with me because I played in the Nopple, too. So we had events there at that rink before. I'd been to games watching the Tornado play, so I was familiar with the rink. And then, yeah, I had been, you know, in that area playing against Brahmas before. Uh, and I really love Dallas. I think that city's sick. You know, that whole area is sick. And that year, that's the year most, I think, out of my four years here besides this year that I thought we had it in the bag. I think everyone on our team had that same feeling. And that's kind of, we hadn't really faced anyone that, you know, could really wake us up with a loss. You know, we had one loss that year to UCO, but we still were like, okay, that's a fluke. Like we're unbeatable. Like we we just absolutely work teams. And I think when Minot, they were, every year we play them, I will give it to them. They were an absolutely worthy opponent, absolutely unreal team that played the right way, played playoff hockey the right way, and we couldn't come up with an answer for them that year. I, I'm really choked about that year, actually. I thought for sure, you know, if we beat Minot, we for sure would have won it. They deserved it that year. They beat, they beat us fair and square. Uh, it sucked, but as, you know, like you said, me transferring there and wanting to be in a winner, you know, it sucked because of that, but we still had an unbelievable season, and I'm like, you know what? In my head, I didn't know I was going to play a fifth and sixth year, but I'm like, you know, next year we'll get the job done then because there's no way we won't with the guys we got. As a whole, that that trip was sick. My dad was down there. Some of my buddies that I played juniors with uh, were on other teams. Their families were there, you know, get, getting to play or watch their last games, hanging out with our parents. It was a, it was a sick experience for sure. It's a great facility too to have it in. All right. And then the offseason comes and you have the chance to represent Team USA at the World University Games. Was that something that you had expected to do? Zombo had mentioned something to me about it when I was uh, thinking I had came with my dad and visited with him and had a talk with him before I made my decision. It's something he kind of briefly mentioned, but I didn't really know what it was or anything. To be honest with you, with how like how many nasty guys we had that year. I thought I wasn't going to be high enough on the totem pole to be picked, but uh, I was kind of lighting it up and I wasn't even like a PP1 guy, was just getting like a lot of five on five goals. I was playing really well. When we had six guys picked to go, that was just pretty, pretty unbelievable. It was a sick experience. All the guys we had were just absolute beauties. We had a great time. I'm speechless from that trip. That was honestly crazy. That was crazy. Any cool stories? I saw your your sick Instagram posts at Coach Harding. We seriously can't thank you enough for cutting us and giving us the opportunity to represent your country. Was that a former USM guy you played against overseas? Yes, that was. That was a guy. Uh, he came in his freshman year with me. He didn't even end up playing because he got hurt. Like, because you know, D three starts way later, like almost end of October, and uh, he got hurt like in September. And then when tryouts came around, they kind of just told him this kid came from Hungary at that point. He was like, you know, came from over there to play here. And coach was like, yeah, like you're not healthy in time. There's just not really any 
you know, room for you and just kind of sewered this kid. Take a guy who's going to be hurt for most of the year because the D3 season is so short. Like they might as well just take somebody else at that point. Right, right. The only game I ever scratched at USM was uh, you had to be home on January 1st. This is the, the only, this is really why I left. It was the beef that started from this scenario. We had to be back on January 1st for a game that was on like the 6th or 7th or something. I told my coach too and beforehand about this. And then I, later on, he like acted like it wasn't true. And I was, you know, in the wrong, but I ended up getting a flight on the second because it was way cheaper than on the first, obviously, with it being New Year's Day, trying to fly out from uh, St. Louis to, you know, Maine. It was just way cheaper that day. So I told him, hey, I literally sent him a picture of it. Hey, I'm flying in on the second. I'm not going to be back on the first. Granted, we didn't even skate on the first. We just had to be back and then we skated on the second. I was going to be there for practice, but I was just trying to be honest with him. He was basically threatening to kick me off the team if I didn't change this flight. I was like, and I told my dad about this. My dad's like, we can't afford that flight. He's coming back on the second. Deal with it. Like, I don't know what the big deal is. You you guys pay for the flight then, and, I, and I'll be back on the first. You know what I mean? That's really where all the beef started. And when the year came to an end, he had kind of been hearing that I was talking to other colleges before I had really, you know, told him I was leaving yet. I was trying to be secretive about it but the boys I uh, had gone back to him somehow and he basically told me you know before I even was done with the year that you're not coming back next year like you're not allowed back here that's when I knew you know okay I'm gonna go start touring school here. yeah you can't fire me I quit exactly yeah, exactly I love that post actually because that guy he put me through a lot it felt good you know I wouldn't have got to experience that if I stayed there or stayed d3 so I'm really grateful for that obviously it was you know a once in a lifetime experience who knows if any Americans will ever get to go back to Russia again so all right, so my next question I had written down ahead of time, though, but I guess you're like a fake St. Louis guy. But like, were you psyched when they won the cup in 2019? Oh my God, yeah, I'm a, I am a huge. I actually am a Montreal Canadiens fan. I was raised a Montreal Canadiens fan because my dad. I didn't really have choice of it at first, but I do love the Habs. But I love the Blues. Like I'm a huge Blues fan. I was down there when the, the like the last game was being played. You know when they actually won it, and I was crying. Like I I am a huge Blues fan. What it's done for the area uh, is unbelievable. You know especially what it's done for youth hockey as a whole. You know there's just way like I said before, way more AAA teams, way more kids playing hockey, way more activity around the sport. So it, it was good for the area. And after how long we've been choking, it was definitely worth it. <laughs> Like, I was old enough to, like, remember the Bruins Cup runs in 2011 and 2013, but, like, don't really have, like, that vivid memories from those those years. But I remember being very upset, devastated when the Bruins lost to the Blues. Like, could not fathom the Bruins, you know, not winning the Cup that year. But, like you said, I don't know. The Blues, very likable team. They had a lot of momentum going into the finals. They pretty much had, had everything going for them. They had the huge comeback story and pretty much unstoppable at that point. Yeah, like, let's be real. Like, Boston completely outplayed the Blues. Like, let's be real. They just weren't netting goals. The Blues were taking any chance they got, and when they got it, they were scoring. I, and I'm a big fan of the Bees, to be honest. Like, you know, it's crazy because, you know, they played the Blues in the final. They are obviously the arch nemesis of the Habs, but I'm a, just a big fan of hockey like you guys, and I love a lot of guys on the Bees. I understood that it was just like you said, momentum, it was the story, the guy, it was a matter of believing. All those guys believed we can actually win, and it ended up happening because they willed it, man. And so the Blues win the cup, and then that fall, Centene opens, right? Like, all of a sudden, you guys are playing in this hockey palace. It was nuts, honestly. When you go from Wentzville to that, you're like, what? And that, like, 
we heard about what it, the locker room was going to be like and whatnot. But when we actually got to experience it and we got in there, we're like, okay, this is, this is sick. We're being treated very well at this point. And man, it's easy to play hockey in a barn like that. You know, it's easy to play hockey in a locker room like that. And I think that's why a lot of it's a lot of the reason why uh, we've done so well is it's easy to thrive in that environment. You know, they take good care of us at Lindenwood, awesome facilities, awesome coaching staff. So it was surreal. It sucked, you know, when you have a pretty empty barn because it's been hard to get people there sometimes. But, you know, you guys saw the atmosphere for that national championship game. Hopefully with us going D1, you know, that's the type of atmosphere they can have it on uh, every night basis, you know. At Wentzville, you guys were like continually packing it because it was just much smaller and was it a little bit closer to campus too? No, it's actually was farther away. That's what sucked. Yeah, it was uh, the opposite direction, like more toward the opposite direction on 70. And uh, it wasn't that far. It's just like a 15 minute drive, but it's still, that's what keeps people away too. As nice as Centene is with it not being on campus, you know, as we know, it's nice when you get and just leave your dorm or leave where you're living at and you walk right to the rink. Whereas when you got to get in a car, it's a little bit harder to get students there. We have so much support at that point in Wenzel. We had so much uh, support from our families. You know, the guys that were from in town knew enough people and the rugby team would come out. A lot of the girls teams that supported us would come out. So we usually had a pretty good crowd out there. All right. So fast forward to the end of the year. Crazy fact, you have a goal in the longest college hockey game in history. What was that like? I remember my this was my freshman year, and so I was just at this point, I was just an ACHA geek. The hockey house hadn't started yet, but I remember checking Twitter the next day and being like, wow, this game went to five overtimes. Tell us about the the CA the CSCHL playoffs that year. Man, so yeah, especially with that being the COVID year and everything, that 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 cup meant a lot to us because that's how we finished the year. But that was absolute madness. I I'll give you the story on the goal and then how it it all transpired after it. But Illinois, I don't know for some reason those hickabilly greasy Illinois fans. I hate those fans. I loved playing Illinois. I had a lot of buddies from the Mustangs and guys I knew that played there, so it was always a good time uh, and we had fun playing against them. So it was a good game, but man, their fans, when we were in their barn, were so greasy. They hated me. So there's this one guy, he's missing teeth. And it, at Illinois, the fan, there's fans right over the top of you on your bench. Like they are literally right on top of you. And there's a guy just ripping me, just absolutely ripping me, saying all kinds of stuff I can't even repeat on here about me and whatnot. And usually I keep my cool, but I couldn't keep it in me. And I, I got a one-timer off a face-off, top corner, nice shot. Guy had just been ripping me off the draw. And I just turn around and I shoot a bow and arrow at this guy. And I'm just mother effing him, pointing at him, going absolute banana land. Fast forward uh, later into the game, and we're actually down a goal. My old uh, roommate, Austin Wilk and Oppo Nermanim were out there. And Oppo is one of the sickest players I've ever played with, this Finnish kid. 6'5", skated like the wind. His kid's nasty. He's out there. And Wilk's been out there. He's gassed. And I'm like, I need to be out there. I'm going to make something happen here. Wilk looks at me, and I kind of look at him, and me and him are like boys. So I just kind of had like some telepathy, and he looked at me. He's like, dude, change. Come here. So I hop out real quick. We end up winning the draw, and I'm thinking one T to Oppo because he's got a bomb too. And I just walk it down the, the wall, throw it at the net back door. Finney ends up putting it in, and that's what ends up pushing us to overtime. So we go to overtime. That goal was with like 10 seconds left, right? Like I don't know if you mentioned that already. Yes, yes, yeah. Like, yeah, maybe 10. It was. I know it was under 30 seconds left in the game. Like, we for sure, uh, you know, that was to keep it going. 
And this is the first game. This isn't even the championship game. Ohio, their game's after us. They end up not even, after all this is done, they don't even play till I think start time like was like midnight. But during overtime, you know, Rick Zombo, great coach, but he's got some crazy, you know, concepts. He, we ran 4D for the first three periods of overtime. And there was two lines of forwards that also didn't really touch the ice. One line that didn't touch at all for three periods, and then they started playing again. So they sat for a full game. We had some D sit for a full game, and then they started playing hockey again to finish the last two periods of overtime. Because is he thinking, like, I'm going to keep putting my best guys out there, and we're going to win this game? But you think by, you know, second or third OT, you're like, okay, these guys are gas. Our D are screaming. I'm cussing at our trainer. Uh, his gears are just grinding in his head. He's going nuts. He's spazzing. Now we got guys who are cramping up, asking for electrolyte pills. It's madness on the bench. It's absolute madness. Yeah, we ended up going to fifth overtime. I remember we didn't have, we ran out of Gatorade. My dad had to go into the Illinois concession stand and buy packs of Gatorade for the boys. It, it was an absolute show, honestly. And uh, the kid who ended up scoring, he I remember he went offside one time off on a pass and Wilk went over and was cussing him out like, dude, let's get this done. But yeah, went five OTs. They ended up not playing till, uh, you know, midnight. I think their game was done at like two or three in the morning. And then we went on to win uh, 5 nothing the next day with most of our guys scratched. <laughs> he played all the guys who were scratched the day before because, you know, everyone was gassed. Wow. That's so – wait, so did you get to play in the championship game? Yeah, I played in the championship game, but it was like a lot of the forwards that – So it was pretty much a skeleton roster. Yes. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think one of – two of them bingoed. We had five different scores. A lot of the freshmen and sophomores were playing, played sick. It was an awesome overall team weekend win. It was it was a sweet, sweet uh, experience. It feels like in the last year we've been asking everybody this question, but that's got to be devastating at this point because you guys are looking at it like, wow, we're going back, redemption year, we're going back to Dallas, and we're finally bringing this thing home. Exactly. Like, we had more losses that year. I think that's the most losses I ever had here was that year. We needed that. You know, most people wouldn't really say that. Or you might not even believe me, but we really needed that. We hadn't faced adversity the year before, and we had faced adversity when we needed to. We knew how to overcome it. Obviously, going a 5 OT game, getting that trophy, we're like, no one's beating us this year. That's where we're firing. Yeah, it was really tough for our especially that was my technical senior year. A lot of guys were done after that. You know, you've heard that story from, you know, a million kids about careers ending because all of that. So, yeah, it was it was brutal, but it was at least, you know, an awesome team win that weekend to go out on for sure. So, like, at this point, like you said, you're technically a senior. Are you like, nah, I got one more year left in me. I'm coming back. Yeah, I was kind of on the fence. And to be honest, I've always wanted to get my MBA. I just didn't know when I was going to do it. I thought I would for sure take a couple uh, years off. But the fact that all that happened, like once that happened, I was like, I got it. Yeah, I got to come back. My buddy, uh, Austin Wilk, he decided he was going to come back. And we were just like, we got to get our ring. You know, we got it. We got to get this done. The last season, looking at the schedule, you guys played 18 games going to the Nationals. You were the three seed. Was there anything crazy that you guys had to go through? Like some teams didn't start playing till January. Some teams had to wear masks. Like what was that season like? Yeah, it was honestly pretty crazy because we knew right out of the gate we weren't going to play till January. So it was going to be a really, really long first semester of just a grind trying to get by. Like a lot of the leadership group that year was like, how are we going to keep all the boys heads in it? Because, you know, it's easy to have a good time and 
you know, stray away from hockey when there's no games going on. It's just practicing every week and get very lethargic. So I was just grateful to be honest that we could skate because I know some teams couldn't even practice. They were dealing with that. So we were blessed in that we at least were practicing. I think by the time we did start playing, uh, we were very hungry to get going, which was good for us. That fifth year, that was probably my best year. I had a great year that year. Production wise, our team was sick. It was fun. A lot of the guys we were playing with and we made the best of a not so great situation because the second half, we really did have a good second half. So they decided to push back the national tournament. Um, it was originally supposed to be in Boston, but they decided to go with different sites and it ends up being in St. Louis and it's in Maryville. What was that like going in? I know like looking at the bracket, you guys kind of had a tough draw in the first round. You play a team that probably doesn't deserve to be in the national tournament in Canisius and you guys just blow them out of the water. Having the, no offense to them, having those teams there, I don't know if that was really great for the tournament that, that year. I know they were trying to just piece it together because of the fact that so many teams weren't playing and that's at no fault to anybody, you know, but yeah, like look at Adrian this year. I think it's not, you know, having a pushover game, your first game is not the track you want going to nationals. I really think playing Dearborn that first game for us this year was huge. I think that was, in my opinion, this year, the hardest team we've played against. So playing them first really prepared us uh, moving forward after that. Playing Canisius that first game, it was it was a throwaway game, you know, like, and we all knew that, and it was a little bit harder to get the boys heading into it, you know, moving forward after that. You know, there's no excuses, obviously, on, you know, that loss, but I definitely think that makes the path a little bit harder because, yeah, it's four games in five days. At that point, it's all adrenaline. You want to be playing at a high level of hockey every game just so everything's fine-tuned, you know, everybody's moving, playing at 100% capacity. Because if, you, if, you're, if you're wasting time, it's just that's what ends up, ends up happening. You play a Canisius and then you play a Minot State who really wakes you up. Now, with it being Minot again, like you lose to them, you have a bitter taste in your mouth, no Nationals the next year because of COVID, you get a trap game in this tournament, and then you play Minot again, and all of a sudden your season's over again. I never got to beat Minot. I really wanted to play them this year. You know, I really respect them. They have some unbelievable hockey players. It's all like the grinders from Western Canada that just trickle down over the border into North Dakota. Exactly. And they all are smart, though. Like some of them aren't as fleet of foot as the guys we had, but they all were very smart hockey players and they knew how to beat us. They knew how to beat a, sp a skilled game. So I really respect Minot. It was kind of hard because our group that, you know, that graduated this year, that group that I came in with, they all knew, but no, we didn't play them the year before because of COVID, obviously. And then we didn't play them that year until the the tournament so you can talk about it but it's not really till you're in that game that you understand you know how much of a grind that it really is to play against them uh they caught us again their their goalie two two times in a row played unbelievable we couldn't score when we needed to but man those were great games i will say on a fun hockey games to play in all right and so the season ends and like from an outside perspective this is kind of when the ncaa rumors start spinning right correct me if i'm wrong like this is when the public is like okay these guys are going to go ncaa watch out like how much did you know last summer when did you first hear when did you first hear confirmation what was it like over the summer i don't know if it was when the season was all the way done with or towards the end of the year the ccm rep comes in and we've always gotten like six sticks at linda when we get all ccm stuff but the ccm rep comes in and all of a sudden we're getting dressed head to toe you know i got custom skates this year 
you know, they're really decking us out. So we're like, hmm, what's going on here? We see some of the kids that are uh, starting to commit on elite prospects. At this point, I knew because me and Rick had some conversations, but it's nothing I could really talk about yet. But yeah, after that point, we saw the kids committing and we we were told like next year is going to be, we were going to have D1 teams in our schedule. You know, it was going to be like the transition year for us going D1. And then so you start off this past season with double surgery, right? I did double surgery. It was my left knee. I tore my left patella and my knee had been hurting me that all that year, really for the whole time I was at Lindenwood, but it was finally getting really bad to where I was like, I need to do an MRI. And at the same time, my wrist had been kind of bothering me last year. I was like, let's do one of that too. And it turned out to get the results. They're like, yeah, you finally tore your patella and your wrist is actually broken. You have like a, a bone floating in there that needs to be taken out. So yeah, that was like my whole year to 2021 was a nightmare. Honestly, I still, I'm going to have to uh, get surgery again on my wrist, getting another MRI on my knee. I might have to do that. That's why I'm honestly not playing right now. Yeah, it was not a good start to the year. They told me three or four month recovery time. I did it back in May. And so, you know, I thought by, you know, September, October, I would be good to go. I didn't start playing until I played one game against Denver just because my coach wanted me to experience that. And I ended up hurting myself first period and it running the door, the door the rest of the game. You look like a good door guy, though. Like you seem like you're a really good locker room guy. So you must have been killing it on the door. Best door guy in the league. Like I, I'm, I got our backup tendy taking notes like in the stand. So, <laughs> yes, you know, I. I'm bringing the energy. The next game, they scratch the backup tendy and they're like, yeah, like we don't need you on the bench. Like Murph's going to handle the door duty from here on out. Literally. Yeah. We need you on the door, Murph. You're not healthy. We need you out there. But yeah, that was still an awesome experience, but you know, it sucked, you know, dealing with the fact that, you know, this year I kind of had to come to terms with, with where my body's at right now. Hopefully I can still fix these issues, but I wasn't going to be able to do the same things that I was doing, you know, in the past here at Lindenwood, especially with the guys we're bringing in. It was going to be a more basic role. And especially when I was getting to January, February and like, I'm still in a lot of daily pain, but it's also, you know, the end of the season and I'm not going to sit this season out. So I kind of just forced myself to self to play because, you know, yeah, I can't I obviously, you know, I'm not going to miss out on that opportunity. Those surgeries, honestly, the biggest mistake of my life. I, I think I got a, a case for some malpractice or suing somebody because these guys, these doctors effed me up, man. That's the crazy thing too, because like looking at the schedule, like when we were doing the nationals preview show and we're talking, we're like, look at the schedule. It's like Lindenwood's only played 20 games this year. Then you look at the schedule and it's like canceled, canceled, canceled. Like you guys didn't end up playing when you got back from Christmas break, you didn't end up playing until late January. And then you just absolutely beat the wheels off Ohio. It was like, wow, these guys have been waiting for a while. They've been issued to play. I guess for you, like you kind of benefited from that um, with all these games getting canceled and you were kind of just buying more time, right? Hit the nail on the head. Like the boys are like, oh man, choke the weekends canceled. But I'm in the back of my head. Like I just grinded through four days of practice, not even sure how I'm going to make it through two games and their weekends canceled. I'm like, okay, I got some time to recover again. It was like, I was just chomping on a piece of wood basically every day practicing, just trying to get by with all these fast little skating around out here, just absolutely buzzing around. I'm just trudging around on a half a knee. Yeah, it, it was beneficial, but at the same time, you know, I, I wanted, we wanted to do that Arizona State trip. That would have been sick, but COVID hit us. Then we had the Ohio trip canceled because of a snowstorm. 
it was just a never ending list of stuff that was getting us out. But yeah, in the back of my head, I'm thinking I'm just going to be as rested as possible because I've accomplished everything here except, you know, winning a ring. So that's all I really cared about was getting by to conference and nationals. And that was it for me. And that's, you know, I knew I could get through six games. That wasn't going to be an issue. I could do that. Yeah, and like I said, we were able to talk to you after that semifinal game against Adrian. You guys were pretty clear that you were on a mission and that there was only one thing in sight. And like you mentioned before, like packed house for the national championship game. A lot of people were pretty pumped to see you guys get a good crowd. Um, it, it was a it's a big building, so I can imagine how you know nerve wracking that must have been going into it. Um, but it was good to see that that you guys were getting a ton of support. Um, and the overall night went very well for you guys. Honestly, we, we were getting a little bit worried. Like I was talking with Mark and, uh, the rest of our coaching staff a little bit like, guys, we got to fill up this barn, but the ACHA rightfully so I completely understand that, you know, obviously, you know, they got to pay the bills and whatnot. They still were charging full prices. And in our heads, we don't think about it, especially the young guys are like, what? Like, this is our rink. How are our students not allowed in for free, like regular games? But it's a tournament. You know, obviously you need a pass to get in and whatnot. So to see that the Blues alumni came out, bought a bunch of tickets for people. The school bought a bunch of tickets for people. And honestly, we were just telling all our friends and family and the, the coaches were just turning a blind eye. Hey, just come through the Lindenwood door. As many people we can get in this building as possible. And we really did did have, you know, the community show out. And I'm so grateful for that. I really think that was setting the precedent for what, you know, this program needs to be doing on a nightly basis moving forward, because that was the building was rocking and it was awesome. And so now that we've been doing the interview, like knowing that you scored in your first game at Lindenwood, and now that you could say that you scored the final goal in your last game, a lot of people might see the celebration that you had in the third period of a game that was getting out of hand. But knowing everything that you've been through and the surgeries you went through at the start of the season, how much did that mean to score that goal? Yeah, like obviously you'd get some flack normally, but I knew my team knew, you know, how much adversity I'd face this year. Like all these young guys, the amount of guys that have come up to me and were like, man, this win was for you. Like we did this for you. We know how much this meant to you. And in that moment, I was just like, that's what I, that's what I, I hadn't scored all year. I mean, I've been a goal scorer here. You know, I've been a power play guy. It was so special. I've always been a big Selly guy. I got some infamous Sellies here that I had to show out and I actually caught an called an audible on that play. Always, whenever it was me and my D partner out there in the past, we always lined up for a one T on either side. Like that was our face-off play. But we have a lot of, we have a full packet of face-off plays at Lindenwood that we run. Like we always meet right before the draw. They call a certain play. That's what we run. And our center called a play where the winger just comes off the wall and takes a shot. And I just had a feeling in my gut. I was like, this is probably going to be my last shift or one of them. I need a one T man. Like, I don't care how bad my wrist hurts. I'm going to just rip this sucker. So I was like, Augie, give me one of our transfers. He came in at January and he's a great kid. He listens to me. I was like, Augie, I'm feeling it, dude. G give me a one T. So we switch off of it. I got my one T. I genoed. I sellied hard. I pointed to my dad. Bliss, baby. That's it. That's it. That's that's all I can say. That was just an unbelievable moment. People got it on camera. Like, I'll never forget that for the rest of my life. Uh, when I retell the story, I'm going to tell him it was the fourth goal on a 4-3 win. So. Yeah, or you could tell people it was the eighth goal, but maybe just be like, oh, like UCO, they had six goals. And like you were saying before, like your teammates knew how big of a deal this was for you. It was pretty cool. I mean, you got the Ray Bork treatment with the Murdoch Cup. That was really cool to see. I did. I had a feeling Kyler was going to do that for me. That's my boy, man. Like, 
when I transferred here, I actually didn't get to play with him that year because we had Townsend, but I played with him the last three years. That's my boy. I've never gelled with a guy like I gelled with that guy on the back end. Like we just understand each other. He of anyone, you know, is someone I've always confided in. He knows all the adversities I faced and yeah, it was just special, you know, like those, all, especially the old dogs group, all the seniors leaving, they know how much that meant to me, you know, to win it here in front of my friends, my family. Yeah, that place erupted, man. I, I, I'm proud of that. That was, that was, uh, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. But yeah, the Ray Borg treatment, I was thinking, you know, six minutes left. Like, man, I wonder if he's going to give it to me first. And he did, man. So I thank him for that. He's a beauty. Yeah, because I remember it was pretty cool for us. We got down on the ice and I was trying to get like as much content as we can. And I was like, did I miss something? Like, how does he already have the cup? And I had my head down. And then looking back at the footage, I saw that it was like, oh, no, they gave him the Ray Borg treatment, which was awesome to see. And so as we wrap it up here, like uh, by far one of my favorite interviews, I think, you know, it, it's fitting that you played in the longest game in ACHA and college hockey history. Why not be the longest interview that we do on the Hockey House? I just wanted to turn it over to you. Any shout outs you want to give to some guys, um, you know, your thoughts on the ACHA and your college hockey career as a whole before you go? For sure. On the ACHA first, I just want to thank you guys first off, because what you guys do, it, I think it just promotes the game and highlights uh, the game in a really positive way. And just since you guys been around, I think it's just done so much for the league, so much for the players in the league. So definitely a shout out to you guys. It makes it more fun to follow, you know, other teams, other leagues. And uh, I just think it's awesome what you guys do. ACHA wise, you know, I was a little skeptical coming from, you know, I wanted to be an NCAA kid and I came to the ACHA and I've played with and again, some of the best players I've ever played here. So I'm grateful for it. I think it's prepared me for in my career and in just in my own life, you know, to be a better person, a better human being. So I'm definitely grateful for that. I definitely want to thank, you know, the Murdoch Cup we won. I want to thank Al Murdoch himself and the whole ACHA staff. Uh, those are like a lot of the guys that I got to go to Russia with too they were on our staff there so that was cool to win it in front of them as well you know they put on a pretty cool tournament at Ascentine I always knew that barn would be unreal for it they, they put on a great show last shout outs I just really want to thank you know my dad my mom my stepmom my family like you guys saw my elite prospects I've had a crazy journey man so to you know have their support and win it here on home ice in front of my friends family it's it, it's it's really just an absolutely speechless feeling for for sure. And uh, I want to thank my teammates, especially this senior class, especially this freshman class too. I want to give them a huge shout out because we didn't really touch on it too much, but you know, they were recruited as D1 guys, but we got the official announcement like a couple weeks ago. Like there was a, there was some question marks there on if it was actually going to happen. And uh, these guys didn't know what was going to happen and they just put it all on the line still to get us a dub this year and to get us a ring. So I really have to thank them and especially, especially them and all my teammates and my seniors. And I think that's pretty much it. That's all Murph dogs got. Once again, thank you to Brandon Murphy for joining us this week. That interview was presented by Optimex Sports. Optimex Sports provides teams the opportunity to build and manage their own website. The best part, your first year is free. Be sure to check them out using the link in our bio. And if you're interested in signing up, be sure to use our referral link at optimexsports.com slash signup slash hockey house pod. Uh, I know I mentioned it earlier in the episode. This is the time of year where clubs are transitioning and getting ready for next season. Please reach out to us if you're interested in using Optimex. Send us a DM. Herm and I go through the DMs almost every day and filter through the requests. 
we are legit about this product. Like we want everybody using it. Um, so if you have any questions about it, we can answer it. We have a, a test site that we can use and kind of walk you through any questions that you might have. They're the real deal when it comes to your website. So please be sure to check them out. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out or check it out yourself at OptumXSports.com. I put up a, a story today just asking people what they want out of us in the off season. I wanted to go through some of our plans for the off season, and then I wanted to add some suggestions that people gave us. But I would like to do Jersey Madness again. I don't think it'll be an 126 team tournament like it was last year. That was a specialty because there was nothing else going on and an absolute nightmare to accomplish and pull off. Herm, what do you think? Like maybe maybe 32 or 64. Like keep it simple. Take the the best jerseys. Yeah, we were very generous with who got into the tournament last year you all you had to do was have a pulse on social media and your your team got in we will probably go through take some nominations but it's gonna be the best of the best the cream of the crop and uh we'll do another round of jersey madness i have a feeling temple's ugly white jerseys are not making a cut this year yeah and there's probably going to be a uh not to show bias towards Syracuse, but there's probably going to be an incentive to include more of the newer jerseys. Like we don't, we don't want a jersey that was unveiled in 2012 winning the tournament. Like that would just be like, what's the point of doing a new tournament every year? So we'll have to pick one of the 1800 Ohio jerseys that they wore this year, and and maybe the Bobcats get in. There'll be plenty of that. We'll do that. I did have a suggestion in the comments today: rink reviews. I think that could be an interesting part of the show. People could nominate a rink, and then we'll post the rink, and then people can comment their reviews we could read some of the best reviews from that rink. So not naming any names, but maybe if you named Chelsea Pierce, people could give their reviews on what that rink is like playing at. And then as unbiased journalists, we would read those reviews on the show and maybe give them a five-star rating or port card rating. What do you think of that, Glick? I like that, but it kind of reminded me of a page that followed me about a year ago. It was called the Locker Talkers. Basically, it was a spinoff of the ACHA Burgers, but instead of burgers, they would review locker rooms. Oh, how many posts do they have? They have one. Basically, it was created during the pandemic, and they said they would come back after the pandemic was over and ACHA hockey was coming as was playing again, but they never did. So if whoever runs that page and is listening, please start it up next year. Maybe they count this as the pandemic year because teams like Syracuse still had to wear masks. So maybe they're just waiting one more year to get that going. But yeah, I think a lot of rink segment would be good. And speaking of five-star reviews, shameless plug, we know that a lot of you guys listen on Spotify and we want to make sure that you guys are going into the Spotify app itself and leaving us a five-star review. We are really, really working hard at trying to climb our way up the global hockey charts. That only happens, one, with you telling your friends and teammates about the podcast, and two, um, helping us with the internal metrics for Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're giving us a five-star review. Tell your friends to give us a five-star review. Tell your dog to give us a five-star review. We don't care. We really, really would love your help on it. Yeah, if all of the Hope College parents could go in and leave a five-star review, I think I think that would skyrocket us through the rankings uh, this week. Some more off-season plans. We'll probably just start planning for next season. You know, how can we do things differently? How can we do things better? One suggestion that we want to do is, Herm and I have talked about this, but we did a, a survey at the halfway point of the season, you know, asking people how we could do better personally. And I think as kind of the voice of the players, we think it would be cool to do sort of a, a similar to how the Players Association in the NHL 
ranks, you know, ranks from around the league, teams they hate playing against, like sort of that thing and kind of just get a gauge on on what the players think and people could leave feedback for the ACHA, for the CHF, for different programs. I think that would be really cool to do and maybe compare experiences at different schools. So be on the lookout for that in the offseason. Uh, we do want to do some merch. We uh, A little teaser for everyone listening that we are working with Selly Hockey Co. to do some Hockey House hats. Those, I think, are going to sell out as quickly as cock hockey tickets on a Friday night. So be on the lookout for those coming up. We'll let you know when those are ready to drop. And we're also trying to figure out how to do an apparel order. Got a lot of comments on the hoodies at Nationals. We're trying to replicate those. It's all about just going through the right vendor, though, and getting prices good and, and all that stuff. So when that comes out, we'll let everyone know. We'll start looking forward to next year. We also, Herm wants to work on doing some sort of photo of the year competition as well. That could get us through the offseason. I know I float around the idea we should nominate some goals of the year and maybe do a top 10 countdown. So the gears are turning here in, in Hockey House HQ and we're ready for the offseason and ready to carry everyone through until we get going again in September. There were some questions in the comments too asking if we golf. I don't think we have any golfers on the show. Do you guys golf? Yeah, everyone's shaking their head. Not golfers. I guess we're not real hockey players because we don't golf in the off the off season. But I'm terrible at golf. I worked at a Pirates Cove mini golf course. It, for those of you on the East Coast that are familiar with the franchise. I worked at one of those growing up, so I'm very good at mini golf. Um, terrible at golf. Uh, I had fun at Top Golf once, but other than that, very little golf experience on the show. Murph, are there any like solid mini golf places in or around the Syracuse campus? I've never been mini golfing in Syracuse. The weather usually isn't nice enough during the school year to go mini golfing in Syracuse. It's gorgeous in June july august which is prime mini golf season i have not been there for those months yeah i'll have to have to test it out once the snow melts here we we just got like four inches the other day i don't know if any of you guys see that i know the east coast there was there's been some cold weather lately but i only bring it up because we might have to rope gav into this to see if we could do a, a herm murph mini golf competition over the off season in like a, a chiclet style piece of content where we go through and we mic ourselves up and shoot the shit on a mini golf course that might be solid yeah that's I, I would say that's another thing i would like to add to just talking goals out loud youtube getting some some more video content and starting a youtube page and kind of mirroring the big guns at chicklets but that is definitely something we, we'd like to do that begs the question what is your favorite off-season activity glick let's hear it i am the furthest person away from a beach person i absolutely hate the beach so i'm gonna have to say just going up to the mountains i love going up to the poconos every summer my favorite thing to do up there other than hiking is definitely whitewater rafting um i don't know if you guys have ever done it but that's just so much fun just being on the river the entire day going down the rapids it's always a lot of fun yeah i'm a big mountain guy myself too herm i want to hear your answer first and then i have a question for you a follow-up question what's an off season murph i i work full time there is no off season at this point but for the next couple months like you're not going to go photograph hockey games like how do you how do you keep your lens sharp probably going to wind up being baseball and soft so carrying on my grandfather's legacy with Alexander Hamilton High School so going and doing that and then the dog days of summer is where it gets like oh boy, there's nothing for me to shoot. So I I'm going to have to figure out what to do this year because it was a, a real struggle last. I love going to baseball games in the summer. That is one of my favorite off-season activities. Um, I did not put that as my answer, but I want to touch on the baseball because I feel like baseball is a pretty good sport to shoot. It's not hard to miss the action in baseball, right? Like you get plenty of rest during the game and then you also, you it's pretty easy to know when to shoot, right? That's true, but it also comes down to the fact that like with hockey, you can shoot with a 70 to 200 
200 lens. But if you're shooting at a, at a minor league stadium or something like that, you need some high-end like telephoto stuff usually, and that can be cumbersome to, to handhold and then refocus. So it, it's more challenging than people expect. Yes, you know that a ball is going to hit a bat, but there's a lot of variables that go into it. My favorite off-season activity, though, is uh, lake living. That's what my mom has called it for the past eight years. Like just She just posts on Instagram, like hashtag lake living like every day of the summer. Just going to the lake, hanging out with family. We've got a, a nice little spot on Silver Lake, Madison, New Hampshire, where it's like our house, my grandparents, and then down the street is my cousins. So we just like walk the road, we kayak, we paddleboard, do all that stuff, uh, hang out on the dock, have some brewskis. It's, it's a good time, good relaxation, really good for the mental health. So I'm looking forward to that in the off season. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna try to keep things as interesting as we can this off season. Please let us know if you have any any ideas for content. If you want to get involved, shoot us a DM. We're usually pretty good about answering those, and we'd love to hear your suggestions moving forward. Hope you keep listening throughout the off season. So we'll see you next week. See you, boys.